God is so good, and we are so happy to have you with us here at Epicenter Church this morning. Pastor Mark is visiting family. He'll be back next Sunday for a brand new series. All the more reason to come back next Sunday. But today, you guys have an awesome opportunity to hear an amazing message uh, from our community pastor, Pastor Elaine Buchanan. So as she comes to the stage, give her a round of applause this morning. Come on, you can do better than that. All right. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. You can go ahead and have a seat. It is truly an honor and a privilege uh, to be with you today and be able to to preach and and share part of my story uh, with you today. Um, And I'd like to thank Pastor Mark. Because any time a lead pastor invites or offers uh, the pulpit or the opportunity to preach, that's a big deal. And when a lead pastor invites someone to close out a series, that's an even bigger deal. So I would like to thank him for giving me the opportunity to close out our series uh, entitled Count Me In today. And I'd also like to thank him for bringing me on staff. I've been the community pastor here at Epicenter Church since April of this year. So I'm still fairly new in regards to being uh, the uh, on staff. But it is a huge honor and a privilege to be on staff at this church at this time. God has so many exciting things coming up for us, and it is just a thrill and a privilege to be a part of it right now. As the community pastor, my biggest responsibility is to provide opportunities for all of us to get to know each other and to build community with each other. And I am very, very excited because next week, in between the first and the second service and after the second service, you're going to have the opportunity to meet the people that I get to interact with, that I get to work with day in and day out. And they are our e-group leaders. Now, the E in the e-group stands for Epicenter, and that's the small groups ministry of this church. And for this fall, we have 17 different groups, 17 different opportunities where you can choose to get involved. Most of these groups are interest-based, so if there's something that you're interested in, there's going to be a group for you. Some of these groups meet weekly, some of them meet uh, a couple of times a month, and some meet once a month. But I tell you what, there is something for you, so you don't want to miss next Sunday. Well, we are closing out this series entitled Count Me In Today. And the title of the sermon today is When God Calls. When God calls us to be more and to do more for him. When God calls us to take a risk, to take a step of faith, and to watch what he does. Now, when God calls us, there is a cost. There is a high cost for that. But within that cost and surrounding that cost, the faithfulness and the mercy and the grace of God surrounds it and encompasses it, and he's faithful to do exactly what he says he will do. 
So today we're going to take a look at Joshua's story. So we'll start off by taking a look at Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Then I'm going to share a little part of my life, a little bit of my story with you. And then we're going to close out just talking about Jesus. So the first passage, as I said, is Joshua 1, 1 through 9. Then later on, we'll take a look at Philippians 2, 5 through 11. And we'll also take a look at Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. So as you're turning to Joshua 1, 1 through 9, I'd just like to give you a little bit of background on who Joshua is and why he's important. You see, Joshua was born and was raised when the Israelites were under captivity in Egypt. The Egyptians were in control. He was there when Moses returned and when the ten plagues came upon the land of Egypt. He was there when God parted the sea so the people could walk across on dry land. He was there when Moses received the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. And he was one of the initial 12 spies sent into Canaan, into the Promised Land, to take a look at the land and the territory. And really they were sent to just confirm that what God had said was true, that God would be with them and God would help them as they take over these different geographical areas. But what actually happened is Joshua and Caleb, they came back from that exploit, and they said, yes, absolutely, 100%, God is with us, God will not leave us, and we can go, and we can do exactly what God has asked us to do. The ten other spies said, uh, no way. These people, the things that they have, who they are is too big for us, and we don't stand a chance. So the people of Israel decided that they would side with the ten spies rather than with Joshua and Caleb. Then they realized that they made the wrong choice. So they decided to go ahead and try to enter into the promised land, to try to enter into Canaan without God's permission and without God's blessing. And they were defeated. For 40 years, they lived as nomads throughout the desert area. And in this time, Joshua was there when God provided food for the people to eat, the manna and the quail. He was there when God provided water from a rock. And he was there when Moses would go to the tabernacle. A tabernacle back then might be uh, similar to what we would call a church today. It's a place where people go to meet with God. So he was with Moses when Moses would go to the tabernacle to meet with God. So Joshua was very familiar with the voice and the presence of God. And now, here we are at the beginning of the book of Joshua. Moses has died, and God asks Joshua, a normal person, to step up, to take a risk, to be more and to do more for him. And he asked Joshua to lead the people of Israel as they enter into the promised land. This is what Joshua 1, 1 through 9 says. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, 
Get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land that I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land that I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid, and do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. You see, at this stage in Joshua's life, he's just said yes to who God has called him to be and what God has called him to do. He has no idea what's ahead of him. All he knows is that God has promised this land to the people and God has asked him to lead these people into this area. That means he doesn't know about all of the twists and the turns that are coming. He doesn't know about all of the mountaintop and the valley experiences. He doesn't know that there's going to be times where God says, Joshua, just stop and watch what I'm going to do. He doesn't know any of that at this point. But if we were to read through the entirety of the book of Joshua, which we don't have time to do that today, but if we did we would see that God fulfilled his promise with Joshua. Because Joshua was willing to step up and say yes, the people of Israel were able to overtake several of those areas that God had promised to them. But if we go back to this, the beginning of this passage that we're talking about today, there are a few things that are really important to talk about and to discover in regards to what God is asking Joshua to do and what God is asking him to be. And the first is, if you look at the end of verse 5, and also if you look at the end of verse 9, you'll see that there's two different times where God says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be with you wherever you go. So when God called Joshua, God promised that he would never leave him or forsake him. And the way that this passage is written, it's actually really fascinating because everything that God asks Joshua to do is couched within that terminology. It's couched within the promise that God will never leave him or forsake him. Now, there are two things that God asks from Joshua. 
One is written right there in the passage, and the other is underlying that passage. The first is that God wants for Joshua to keep his relationship with God at the forefront of everything that makes him who he is and everything that God is asking him to do. You see, when, when God asks Joshua and when God tells him, meditate on the law, think about it, let it infiltrate the core of who you are, let it infiltrate your heart, your mind, let it ooze out of who you are. The second thing that God asks, or God tells him, is that there is no way that he will be able to fulfill who God has called him to be and what God has called him to do without the help of other people. You see, it's one thing to be called by God, to be asked by God to step up and be a leader. And it's another thing to have people actually follow. There are people that Joshua needs in his life to help make decisions. There are people that he needs in his life to make it day by day by day by day. And the reality is, when God calls you and me to take a risk, to step up, to be more and to do more for him, there's a cost involved. We don't know what that is, but God does. God promises never to leave us or forsake us. And he asks in return from us that we keep our relationship with him as the top priority and that we include other people in our lives and in our story and in our journey. Now, you and I, have a story too. It's not the same as Joshua's, but we do. And I'd like to tell you about a time in my life when God asked my husband and I to take a risk, to take a step of faith, to be more and to do more for him. So I'd like to take you back to uh, November of 2007. Stefan and I had been married for four years at that time. We were living in Springfield, Missouri. He was working at Chase Bank. I was teaching in the Bible and Theology Department at Evangel. And we had, in a sense, come to a crossroads in that we knew that God was asking us to be more and to do more. For him, he had known for years that God wanted him to become an active-duty Army chaplain. And he knew it was time for him to pursue that. For me, it's a little bit different. God called both of us to be ministers, but God also asked me to take a huge risk and a huge step of faith to become a biblical scholar. Now, for me, that calling, that, that wooing, that, that pressing, that pulling, that pushing from God didn't really occur until about a year to a year and a half before that time. But both of us knew that it was time. And so in November of 2007, he applied for active duty Army service, and I applied for Ph.D. studies. Now, in the academic world and in the scholarly world, if you want to have a seat at the table with other scholars, you have to do a Ph.D. 
So this was not something that was on my radar. It's not something I necessarily wanted to do, but it was something that I knew that God was asking me to do. About three weeks later, the middle of December, we received word that both of us had been accepted into our respective areas. Within a couple of days of that, a friend pulled me aside and said, Elaine, I've just been thinking about Stefan and you, and I think it's awesome that God is, is calling you to do these things. And every time I think about you and every time I pray for you, there's a specific passage that comes to mind. And I have no idea what it really means for you, but I just really feel like I need to read it to you. And that passage was Joshua 1, 1 through 9. Stefan and I had just stepped out. We had just said yes. And we had no idea what was going to happen. And I'd like to just take a few moments to share with you about how God has worked and how God has done some amazing, amazing things in our lives from that time up to the present time. So in January of 2008, my husband received a phone call from the Pentagon at Washington, D.C., there was a unit at Fort Lewis, which is now Joint Base Lewis-McChord, in Washington who was getting ready to deploy, and they needed an active duty chaplain. And they called, and they asked my husband if he would do it. And as all of us are, if there's something that we're aiming for and that we're gearing for that we're excited about, if there's an opportunity there, you just do it and you just take it. So he did. What we didn't know was that one week later, I would receive his orders in the mail, the physical, tangible orders. He was in Montana for a minister's retreat, and uh, we had one week for him to report for active duty service. So he cut his trip up in Montana short. He came home. We had six days together, and uh, he reported to Fort Lewis for active duty, and within a month, he was in Afghanistan for 15 months. So in a five-week time frame, we went from being a normal civilian family to being an active-duty family with a soldier deployed for 15 months. Stefan was actually deployed for 26 months of his first 36 months of active-duty service. But God brought people into our lives who helped us to adjust to active duty army life. And let me tell you, it is very different uh, than civilian life. There was also a time in there where Stefan and I were convinced that our marriage was over. And God brought some people into our lives who showed us and who taught us that our marriage was worth fighting for and that it mattered. And to this day, we still fight for our marriage because it's worth it and because it matters. There was also a, a time in there where I faced a lot of rejection and a lot of the relationships that I had with other people uh, were severed. And that's because it is not normal for an active-duty military spouse to also be a minister and to also be working on a Ph.D., now, my Ph.D. is in Jewish literature and history from 500 B.C. to 100 A.D. So it touches on and it encompasses Scripture, but it focuses on all of the literature that's written outside of Scripture. 
And sometimes when people don't understand when someone does something different or when they step out and they take this type of a risk, sometimes it's easier to reject that person and to walk away from that relationship than it is to engage that person and to ask questions and to continue building that relationship. And that's what happened to me. Some of those relationships have been restored. They look very different than they did back then. Some of those relationships have not been restored, and I don't know if they ever will be. But God has brought other people into our lives who love us just because we're Stefan and Elaine. They could care less about all the things that we do. They care about us. God also, um, in the midst of a conversation that I had with uh, a friend who is just like family, um, she just blurted out in the middle of the conversation, you know, my husband's been having these dreams about you and your husband, and these dreams include a child. And um, I just wanted to let you know that, um, that we really believe that God is going to give you a child and that it's going to happen while you're working on your PhD. But everything is going to be okay because God isn't going to take away from who God's called you to do and what God's called you to be. Rather, he's going to enhance it. And wouldn't you know it, a year and a half later, I was pregnant with our son, Liam. We also found out about that time that the Army was going to be moving us from Washington State to Hawaii, which, that's awesome. <laughs> so we were moving uh, to Hawaii, and I was also finishing up the coursework phase of my Ph.D., which meant that I had to prepare for my written and oral exams. Now, most people have 10 months to study and to prepare for that. However, I was going to have a baby, so I couldn't do that. So my exams that were scheduled for 10 months away got moved up to five months away. And because it's a military move and there's the Pacific Ocean that's between Washington State and Hawaii, uh, we were without our household goods and I was without my resources for about two and a half months at that time. So I had two and a half months to study uh, for an exam that most people have about 10 months uh, to study for. But you know what? God brought people around us, and they just totally rallied around us, and they were cheering for us and rooting for us. And um, yes, it did take longer than expected to pass those exams. Um, but I did pass my oral exams in early January of 2012, and our son Liam was born eight days later. Yeah. And yes, parenting is hard work, but what my friend said is true, that he has just enhanced us as a family. He has enhanced uh, our calling as, as, an in, as individuals and as, uh, as a couple, and that's really, really cool. Now, when Liam was about 13 and a half or 14 months old, I woke up on a Sunday morning and had an unexplained pain in my knee. Uh, it was, this pain was just shooting up and down my left knee. And by that Thursday, I couldn't stand up on my own, and I couldn't walk. So for a period of about six weeks or so, uh, I went and had lots of tests, saw lots of doctors. And some of you have been there. When you know that there's something wrong with your body, and you don't know what to do, and nobody else knows what to do either, uh, that's, that's kind of scary. But all of my doctors were Christians, and all of them were praying. 
And our military community in Hawaii, boy, they just showed us what it's like really for the first time for people to be the hands and the heart of Jesus extended. I couldn't stand up. So someone would come over to clean our house. Other people would bring meals to us. Um, some people would come and pick Liam up and, and would take him for a couple of hours or for a day because I couldn't pick him up and I couldn't sit on the floor and play with him. I, could, I couldn't study. I couldn't read. Uh, I was working on my dissertation at that point, but I couldn't do those things. So a friend would come over and she would try to read some of these academic books uh, to me. And so anytime she would come across one of those uh, Hebrew or Greek or Aramaic words or another foreign word or a big theological term, you know, we get into this discussion about how to pronounce those words and what those words mean. Uh, in that particular context. So we got to see and to experience really what it's like when the people who love Jesus come together and really live and work as a community. About six and a half weeks into this process, I did receive a diagnosis, and it's retropatellar pain syndrome. One week after that, Stefan and I went to a fundraising event for the Bible college where I was going to be teaching the next year. And at the end of that fundraising event, they had a worship service. And with no one watching, no one paying attention, no one knowing what was going on, Jesus miraculously healed me. I came into that event on crutches and in a lot of pain. I walked out of that event completely on my own, pain-free, and Stefan carried my crutches to the car. <clears throat> Less than a year later, we found ourselves here. The Army sent us here to Fort Bragg, and we found Epicenter Church shortly after we arrived here. And I am continuing to learn in a variety of different ways how important it is to keep God at the forefront of my life and how important it is to include other people in uh, the journey. So is it hard when God calls us and asks us to be something more and to do something more? Uh, yes, it is. But he promises never to leave us or forsake us. Are there moments, days, months, and years where we may want to quit, where we may want to step aside? Yes. But because he is with us, we can be strong and courageous. Do you and I know what the cost is going to be to follow who God is asking us to be and to do what God is asking us to do? Well, in my case, I know what the cost has been. But no, I don't know what the cost is going to be later today, tomorrow, next month, next year, 10, 20 years from now. I have no idea. But I know someone who does. And his name is Jesus. You see, Jesus has been where you and I are. He knows what it's like to say yes to the Father. And he knows what it's like to struggle, to be in pain, to be loved and rejected at the same time, to suffer loss and to be tempted. And he knows what it's like to give up everything 
in order to be who the Father asked him to be and to do what the Father had asked him to do. The author of Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, tells us this about Jesus. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus. At the name of Jesus. Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The author of Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, writes this, For we do not have a high priest. In this context, the high priest is Jesus. So we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You see, Jesus was obedient to do everything that God the Father asked of him. He was tempted in the same ways that you and I are. He struggled with the same struggles we face. But he didn't sin. And look what it cost him. It cost him his life. But look what the father did. The father gave him a name that is above every name. And because Jesus has been where you and I are, we can boldly and confidently approach God. And we can say, Jesus, we need you. And he is more than willing and more than able to give us the grace and the mercy that you and I need to make it moment by moment and day by day. You see... If anyone understands what we're going through, it's Jesus. But Jesus couldn't have done what he did without the Father and without other people. Joshua couldn't have fulfilled who God called him to be and what God had called him to do without God and without other people. And you and I can't fulfill who God has called us to be and what God has called us to do without God and without each other.
see, each and every one of us was created with a need for relationship with God and a relationship with other people. Some of us who are here today, God's been calling. God's been asking for you to step up, to take that risk, to be more, and to do more for him. Guess what? It's decision time. What are you going to do? Some of us are in a season of life where we just desperately need Jesus. And I would fall into this category today. Because I'm learning all over again, and in a very different way that although God has done some really, really awesome, amazing things in my life, and it's obvious that it's God who did that, he does not have to intervene on my current situation. He doesn't have to take it away, and he doesn't have to make it better. But what he will do, and what he promises to do, is to be with us, to be our fortress, to be our shelter from the storm, to be the the one who sticks closer than a brother. That promise is true. When God says that he will never leave us or forsake us, that's exactly what he means. The reality is we also need each other. We can't be who God's called us to be, and we can't do what God's called us to do without each other. Let me give you an example of what I mean. It's very easy for all of us to come into church on Sunday morning. It's very easy to worship. It's very easy to engage with whoever is preaching. But how often do we talk with the people that are sitting around us? So I need to ask you a very honest question. How is anyone in this church supposed to speak truth and life to you? To encourage you, to be there for you when you need it, to rejoice with you when things are going well. How is anyone supposed to do that if you don't open your mouth? If you don't say something? If you don't choose to enter into relationship with other people and if you choose if you don't choose to to get involved you see here's the reality you are so much more than a name and a face who you are matters and what you do matters you have something to offer that no one in this world has to offer and the reality is You may have something to say. You may have something to offer to someone else who needs it, but they're never going to know if you don't step up and build relationship. And what if there's something that you're going through that someone else can speak truth into your life? You're never going to know if you don't step up and get involved. So why not join an e-group? Why not get involved and help with the multiple ministry opportunities that we have this church? Why not? 
some of us in here have uh, also let our relationship with Christ slide to the back burner. And the reality is, both you and I know this, we can't be who God has called us to be, and we can't do what he's called us to do unless he's the number one priority. Everything falls apart if he is not the top priority. So, So some of us today, Jesus is not the top priority in your life, and you know it. Others of us, Christ has never been a part of our life. But he's inviting you today. He's asking you to enter into relationship with him. He wants to lead you. He wants to guide you. This promise that he will never leave us or forsake us, he wants for you to know what that's like. You see, when God calls us to be more and to do more for him, he promises never to leave us and never to forsake us. But he expects that we'll keep our relationship with him as the top priority, and he expects that we include other people along in our journey.